On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, let's review this past Pacer season, a 10-win improvement on last year. They exceeded expectations while also returning to the script late in the year. Now they're in the lottery for the third straight offseason, I know fans, hopefully for the last time in about a decade. I know that Fieldhouse Files has a prolific following. You know, I just want to be careful about sharing too much with the world. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Well, this one's going to be solo, and it's going to be a wrap-up. Let's put a bow, if you will, on this past 82-game season for the Indiana Pacers. It was another year complete for them, and another one for me on the beat. Sure feels like the time is uh, flying by. It was my 11th season on the beat, and it had its own unique challenges, to be sure. No more masks, though, and we were back around the team with full interactions and at practice and in games and pregame and those sorts of things. And even though a huge curveball was thrown at me this season, you know what? I tried to adapt and tried to make the most of it because that's what it's about in life anyway, right? I'm proud of my coverage at Fieldhouse Files and what I was able to produce for you this season, even though I did have to tweak some things. But it is my goal every single day to make you a smarter fan, for you to understand the team and all the happenings going on daily, and perhaps more, most importantly, help you connect with and understand both the players and the coaching staff, because that's what it's all about anyway. When you think about it, that's why we all love sports, because of the connections, the fandom. You got the highs and the lows, and you root for a team Maybe because it's your hometown or you connect with the players and root like hell for them because of their story or their talents or what you've seen from year one to year four. Fans especially are loyal to their college. And I think though there, there's something unique and special about that, but you see it nowadays with college basketball and players only spending a year or two there. I mean, how many of you can name you know more than 10 players in college basketball right now? That's why I think it makes, again, even more so. The best players go to the NBA. You can feel that connection more and for a longer time. But there is something special, to be sure, about fans with their colleges. But this season, we started to see fans come back more and more. I think Tyrese Halliburton was obviously a very big part of that, and not just the wins and losses, although the wins obviously contributed to it, but also the fun playing style, how much they got up and down, scored often. So many people love offense, and and league scoring was up all over. Uh, but the Pacers were able to finish this season with seven sellouts. They didn't finish last in attendance once again, just slightly beating out the Thunder. They finished in 29th and had an average attendance of about 87% or so of capacity. This season was about finally having renovations done to the Fieldhouse. Those three years finally being complete, although outside still has a little bit more work to go. But that stuff's mostly done. They introduced the Rev It Up moment pregame, which I wrote about on fieldhousefiles.com and also tried some new things. But this was year two of a rebuild, year two under Rick Carlisle and his coaching staff, year one plus, little, plus a little bit more of Tyrese Halliburton becoming the face of the team and being all in. And uh, things will get uh, even more exciting, I think, going into next year, his fourth in the league. He'll probably have a contract extension going in to next year, so that won't be any issue or something. I don't expect to weigh down that season, but 
A lot more to talk about here before I want to get into exit interviews in the offseason in an upcoming episode. First, I want to talk about what we just watched for the last six months or so, the season that was just completed. And I think we can all celebrate, by the way, those nasty City Edition uniforms are no more. Got an email today. Gift shop, 40% off the City Editions. Yeah, I'm not sure that's enough, but thankfully those are just one and done, and I know they're cooking up something special and much better, more thoughtful uh, for the upcoming season and taking more of the control of that from Nike and, and others. The Pacers really taking ownership in that, which I think every team prefers and wants. It's just a matter of making that work because last year, kind of an accident, uh, last-minute design if you will. I give them credit for for doing so, but really was not my favorite, though I will acknowledge those uniforms were definitely better in person and on the players than they were in a photo or maybe the original gift shop first time, first look that we saw from them. Well, coming off of last year's 25-win season, the Pacers had three draft picks, two top 31 picks, and it turned out both of those were really good hits with Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nimhard. Really like what we saw from both Ben and Andrew in the first year, but again, even if they had bad years, what I always say is give it players at least three seasons to judge their talents, their abilities, their play in the NBA and such. But thus far, yeah, very good returns. And going into this season, what did I prepare you for? The fact that this season is about growth and development and that's ultimately what it really was about. I think we saw Tyrese Halliburton take on a new ownership and really make this team his own, both on his with his play on the floor, his numbers he put up, but also how much better he made the team, how much better he made individuals. And I think the biggest indication of where he's at currently coming off an all-star year that was limited both because of injuries and because they held him out late in the year was the fact that how much of a drop-off there was when Tyrese was unavailable. I think that was the biggest telling point. If I'm selling him as an all-star, I'm taking his numbers, or the team's numbers, I should say, from when he was out, and there was just such a dramatic change, a dramatic drop-off, significant change, and and (laughs) almost the team became unrecognizable when he was out. 20-point losses, poor defense, bad shot-making, Team not getting into their offense and threes and more play calling. You saw it. I saw it. It just was not a fun brand of basketball when he was away. When he was out there, he made everybody better, and uh, he developed a ton. Miles Turner developed a ton. We'll get into other individuals a little bit later on, but I commend the Pacers front office for managing expectations. It was so smart. They did it so well, and you contrast that with how the Colts front office handled it probably this time last year, maybe into the summer. What was it, right? It was Matt Ryan's. Now they're a Super Bowl contender. Now, you know, we could see them in the AFC Championship game. Oh, my goodness. We learned this season, right, with the Colts, how far they were away ultimately from that and how they needed a lot more than just a quarterback. Well, with the Pacers, they did it a lot different. And as I think I've talked about on this show and certainly written on FieldhouseFiles.com, a few days the week before training camp, the front office invited a select group of us to the St. Vincent Center for mostly an off-the-record conversation, but the part that be, was before 
all those conversations, much of which were one-on-one. We're, you know, just sitting down, all right, here's Chad Buchanan and then Kelly Kroskoff and KP as well, etc. Kevin took the floor and appreciated us coming there and set the tone for the season right there. The fact that there's going to be a lot of highs, and there were a lot of lows, and they were kind of a roller coaster type season where they explored, they figured out what they had within the roster. Players maybe figured out their own individual identity a little bit. The coaches could settle in after one full year here in Indy and working together as a group of those key four coaches plus the developmental staff. And I would say overall it was probably a B in terms of checking off what they wanted to this season with growth and the development, so many players exceeded expectations. A couple incompletes and a couple guys that you know fell below of where we expected them to take a leap in their young career. Uh, and ultimately, the Pacers, by setting that tone, it allowed for both media and for fans to enter the season acknowledging what they could expect and knowing uh, that we should focus on maybe the little things and less so the wins and losses. So I thought that it was a really good job by the front office to do that, and that was a box check because they, they handled that very well, and the Pacers exceeded all expectations until Tyrese got hurt. Then they returned to the plan, and I'm glad they did, even if it was kind of a week later, I wrote, where Tyrese should be uh, done for the year. And about a week later, he did, and him and Miles didn't play over the final couple of weeks, and Again, that was that began the exploratory phase even more so, where we saw Matherin in the starting lineup, Nemhard with the ball in his hands a lot more, Wara, O'Shea Brissett, others at that four position getting more and longer sustainable minutes. And ultimately, what came up was a 35 and 47 record. Finished 11th in the East, tied with the Washington Wizards, and that's notable for the draft lottery, which they ultimately won that ping pong ball, (laughs) that tiebreaker, if you will. So uh, they're slotted right now with the 7th spot going into the draft lottery. We'll discuss that a little bit more in the coming weeks before I head to Chicago for the draft combine, as usual. But they finished again with 10 more wins than last season, 10 more wins than Vegas, the odds maker, set it at. I think it was 24.5 is what I remember at the start of the season. And the way the front office set expectations, that felt high. Although I do know several people that go, hey, you know what? I mean, there's there's wins to be had out there. You got Tyrese. You got several veterans. You got some young guys that want to compete. They're going to top that. And you know what? They ultimately did do that to their credit and played well and and made things interesting and more than anything I think had a fun season and and that's half the battle I think for you fans is you want to experience a fun season you want to experience some highs like Andrew Nemhard a couple of his big situations is things we keep going back to with this season right how how he hit that buzzer beater on the left arc in Los Angeles and a week later scored like 31 points season high uh, maybe even a career high even actually now but what he was able to do there over Steph Curry and the Warriors with an undermanned roster with no Tyrese. So that was certainly a highlight, I think, to his season. Uh, no doubt about that one. But talking with Tyrese and every single player in exit interviews, and we'll touch on that too coming up in the next episode. But Tyrese speaking for the first time in about three weeks, saying, you know, hey, going from 25 wins to 35 wins, not that difficult. Pretty easy. You have some things go your way, some health, you bond, you build some continuity with the roster. Not that difficult. However, now where they're at, 
at 35 wins, trying to make that jump to 45 and really 250 wins, that's huge. That's sizable. That's a cha- a big challenge, and that's their next task here and what they're looking to accomplish going into next season because, to be clear now, the expectations return. There are expectations, whereas this past season, it was kind of cute, whatever they did. It's maybe the best way to say it. Any kind of outcome, you're like, oh, nice. That's a positive. You tried to find the positives, or at least I did in every single game, without it being dictated by the outcome, by the final result. And so now, going from 35 wins, as Tyrese put it, and you know he's very thirsty, very desperate to reach the playoffs for the first time in his career. Same thing for Buddy Heald, who has the longest active streak for a player, not entering the postseason competition. And those two guys, competitive as hell. Miles Turner. Hadn't reached the playoffs since, what, 2019. So that's three straight years without it. And you can go on down the list. Rookies, Benedict Matherin and such. Jordan Warris, he's tasted it. Aaron Neesmith tasted NBA Finals last year. Played a very small role. Those two guys, though, for example, new opportunity here. Played big role on this Pacers team this past season. Pacers in the East finished only ahead of Detroit, ahead of Charlotte and Orlando. All of those were to be expected, and they just missed out on having a 500 or better record at home at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, which prior to the last couple of seasons, they had done for decades, like three straight decades. Uh, this season, 20-21 and 21 at home, 15-26 and 26 in the road games. They ultimately won the season finale at New York, which is kind of laughable, but I wasn't exactly surprised. But you go in there, undermanned you're playing a lot of young guys you're playing a lot of guys in different spots Gabe York promoted for the final three games from the G League getting minutes out there and they still managed to win against a physical a tough team that has aspirations and we're looking forward to the playoffs with the New York Knicks and they were that without their top two scores and Randall as well as Jalen Brunson but you know what the Pacers went ahead and and got the win it may have cost them one spot in the lottery could have finished as high as a tie for sixth ultimately finished a tie in seventh won that tiebreaker so not too bad but still not an ideal scenario when you consider the big picture and that's what this season and especially the last several weeks were about so while they won that regular season finale they had lost 10 straight to end last season this time 10 of their final 14 games to wrap up this season and it was a season where several players had career years and again that's something positive and I'm excluding guys by the way who certainly did it but mostly that was because they received a significant role for once like Aaron Neesmith and like Jordan War it's hard to compare it when you're you know maybe playing half the games or playing 10 minutes per game and then now you come and play 25 minutes per game of course you do better of course you produce more of course you have a better season Uh, so it's hard to kind of evaluate that with a smaller sample size before this season both those guys in the same draft class all were lottery picks along with Tyrese Halliburton as well as Jalen Smith now that class all together here (laughs) those four here with the Pacers something I asked Jordan War about when he was acquired Midseason, he hadn't really given much thought to it. But back to the guys with career years. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. 
With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Tyrese Halliburton, you saw it, I saw it. Incredible year for him that could have been better if he did not miss those, what, 11 games. The team lost 10 of them after that injury at New York. Kind of notable that there was a big pivot from the Pacers' season. I think it was January 11th at New York, and then their season ultimately ending in New York as they also played the Knicks in two of their final three games. But Ty led the team in scoring, only 20 point per game score. Uh, Led the team in assists, obviously, at 10.4. Would have probably led the league in per game assists and total assists had he played more rather than just 56 games. I think realistically he probably could have gotten up to 62, 65 games if they didn't have the bigger picture in mind, which, yes, we want to see Tyrese out there. But also, again, you have that big picture in mind. Another key player, Miles Turner, clearly had his best season, excelled. He played 62 games. Again, he could have probably gotten up to about 70. Finished 18 points, 8 rebounds or so per game. Played 62 games in all. Oh, thanks, Siri. Appreciate that. You guys notice she's listening in more, I feel like, nowadays? Maybe it's just me. Anyways, but uh, I feel like Miles has done really well. And, you know, for all that talk about I want to be featured more, I want to be put in my more natural spot. I want to play more of my natural five position and be featured more offensively. Thought this season he really backed that up. And then we'll get into defense in a minute. But defense as a whole was just piss poor this season. Not good at all. So it's kind of hard in part to judge Miles on that end of the floor as well. He did average over two blocks per game. And I did think it was notable as I wrote Uh, at the bottom of a recent story at Fieldhouse Files as the Pacers were shut out of all-season awards. I thought for sure Benedict Matherin would finish at least top three for Rookie of the Year, probably second behind Orlando's Paolo Bencaro, who was the top overall pick. But no, he was not included in the top three somehow. And that surprised me. I thought Nemhard, I think Nemhard, will be on an all-rookie team. That means uh, there's two of them. Five players here, five players there. I think he was absolutely one of the top ten best rookies this season. And, of course, Matherin should be the first team. But you know what? I'm not sure there's anything guaranteed anymore. Um, It makes me wonder, though, because he played all but four games this season. Did Mostly came off the bench. And I think ultimately that's probably the case that's going to frustrate him and his agent is came off the bench. Therefore, he did not get as much consideration as the other guys, like Walker Kessler, like a Jaden Ivey. Uh, Boncaro obviously should be up there. Jalen Williams down in OKC, who really took off in the final month of the season. So Turner, number two on my list of guys that had career years. Another guy, Buddy Heald. And I don't think this is necessarily the obvious one like the others. But I'm including him because of his efficiency, of knowing his role, and maximizing it as well. He had a special third season in Sacramento. Like if you look at his top scoring season, that was it. That said, numbers don't tell the full picture. And so he played fewer minutes this season. He was more efficient. He settled in nicely to his role, maximized what he could do, I think, uh, playing off of Tyrese Halliburton. And that's why, in large part, I think they should continue on with that partnership unless the front office gets an offer they can't pass up. But Buddy was also a team player, both acknowledging he was ill, had to go to the hospital, and probably it would be best for the team in the league for him to sit out a couple games rather than to potentially infect uh, a few players. And 
also by playing the final few weeks of the season off the bench so the Pacers could get a better indication of what Matherin in particular looked like with the starting unit. Because one thing that might be taken into consideration moving forward is, yes, we'll carry on with Buddy. He's under contract for one more season, and maybe they'll look for an extension down the road. There's no urgency to do that this summer, whereas I think you just check that off with Tyrese. You hand him the contract, it's the max, he signs it, and you keep it moving. But with Buddy, I think you want to see how this season plays out coming up, and you want to probably, ideally with him coming off the bench, imagine him in a sixth-man role playing with, I don't know, Nemhard, McConnell. The trouble is he just was so good and is so good with Tyrese Halliburton. But Buddy Heald, another player who had a career season, and another guy, was T.J. McConnell, a two-way player? Yeah, that's absolutely what we saw this past season. No longer just about scrappiness or for being a pest. Year eight, and he averaged nine points, three rebounds, five assists per game. Nearly entered the 50-40-90 club. A, a small group there, and that's fifty, at least 50% from the field, 40% from distance, and 90% from the free throw line, I even asked him about it during exit interviews. He was like, you know what, I don't get to the free throw line enough. So if I miss two free throws in one night, that's really going to have a, be a setback for me. And ultimately, that's what cost him because he shot 54%, then 44% from range and finished what is a very good 85% at the line, but just shy of 90% to enter that elusive club, which I think the last pacer we saw was Darren Collison be part of that and Malcolm Brogdon did in his final season I believe in Milwaukee because of the role he was able to play right there but those limited free throw opportunities those got him but just played 20 minutes per game and not only did he know his role but he embraced it and continued to play at that level there were several games where he went off for career nights where he maybe played 30 minutes per game and you know there was that special half in Milwaukee where he was nearly unstoppable I think we saw here in his eighth season, the evolution of his offensive game, how he grew confidence from that, how he no longer hesitates from distance, whereas the book on him was you can go under on him on screens, you can let him have all the threes you want. At worst, you know, he'll hit 30% of them. Well, opposing teams will take that all day. The numbers say so. And after a while, he stopped taking them. But then he got back in the groove, and this is a huge credit to him. He worked big time on this. I think it was three off-seasons ago with his dad, Tim, and then the last couple of years with assistant coach Jenny Busick, who is so brilliant as a coach, and especially with mechanics and the brain and, and making things work and really has kind of maybe helped him rewire and rethink his shot and how he goes about things and that hitch no longer there. And more than anything, though, the confidence there because of the reps and the work that those two put in after every practice, before every game. And so T.J. McConnell for sure had a career year with the Pacers this season as a, a reserve off the bench. And so you think about it, right? Of course, Nemhart had a career year, but who's a rookie? Halliburton, McConnell, those are their three point guards right there. So things get really interesting in how guys are utilized. I mean, Nemhart was one of their best defenders this season. Next season, is he still a starter or would he be best? and maximized off the bench or more of a hybrid role where he started but played more with the bench? I don't know. Those are the questions that Rick Carlisle, that Lloyd Pierce, the analytics guys can perhaps try to figure out this offseason, but I don't see any of those three players going anywhere, so I see them absolutely part of this group for next season, and you figure it out and go from there. 
The overlying theme, though, and I appreciate Rick Carlisle not even hesitating or hiding the fact from what we all saw. Defense, horrendous, not nearly good enough, must be better. Rebounding, still not good. (laughs) I laugh because that's been an issue my entire time on this beat. I can't remember a season where I was like, you know what, this team was incredible, really good, reliable on the boards, or even average. They've almost always been poor on the glass. A lot of that is personnel. they got to get tougher inside. They need a bruiser, and I don't just mean James Johnson off the bench. I laugh that, you know, maybe by default, but Athletic came out with that interview with, you know, a fourth of the league asking them questions anonymously and asking them, you know, who wouldn't you want to fight? And James Johnson almost by default comes up. Yeah, he's a black belt, and I wrote about that before the season, right when the Pacers signed him after a conversation I had with him at Brickyard Crossing Golf Course. Um, he kind of laughed about it. I'm sure it's a story he's told countless times how not just he but his entire family have black belts, and he's a tough guy. And so, yeah, I almost wonder if that's who the players think of by default. But he's not really playing out there, certainly when it matters. And so they need a bully in there. That's something I asked Rick Carlisle about this season, and um, hopefully that's something they fill through trades and not in free agency because it's so hard to get a guy like that. David West was the last one to come that way, and he was probably the best free agent that this franchise has ever signed. And that's also a lot to ask of a rookie, so maybe you don't address that either in the draft, which will be on Thursday, June 22nd, again at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. But, man, look at these numbers, or hear these numbers. Just awful. Post-All-Star break, they gave up 125.8 points per game on 50%, better than 50% shooting. Neither one of those are sustainable for playing winning basketball. And I I do want to note the caveat of throw out maybe the last two, certainly maybe three weeks of the season when the priorities rightfully so changed and it became about the, the future Pacers, as I joked at the end of the year, rather than the present Pacers. But still, the defensive rating, 122.4, that was the worst in the league. They gave up a ton of pain points. A ton of second-chance points. They finished 30th in defensive rebounding percentage. The numbers simply do not lie here. For this team to make marketed improvement, for them to go, like Tyrese talked about, from 35 wins to 45 or 50, those are the first two areas of concern. And I think the number one thing, yes, individuals can improve on this roster, to be clear. But it starts with upgrading personnel at the wing, like I've been saying for probably five years now. They need that wing, that 3 and D type guy, the two-way player that wants to muddy it up and get down and dirty and defend, and maybe defense is the priority, and offense just goes with the flow here. They also need that bully power forward. I don't see it sustainable for them to go back to you know playing Jalen Smith at the four and Miles at the five. We don't need to see that. That screwed up things offensively for Miles, and once they went away from that about 24 games in or so, Then things started to click for Miles with Tyrese in that front line. The two guys that really struggled this season to kind of find their own, and in part because they kind of teeter-tottered. Your your minutes. No, it's your minutes. No, it's your game. Was Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson. Story I'll be writing about on FieldhouseFiles.com there, getting perspective from some of the veterans and the coaches as well. That complicated things. But the defense and rebounding, absolutely has to improve for this team to have success. But in general, I would call it a good year. They got to accomplish most of what they wanted to. I think there's still not clarity in the backcourt, mostly because of what is Chris Duarte and his future. 
and a lot of that mostly because of injuries. He got injured what felt like six games into the year. It was like November 1st. Kyle Lowry, uh, just an awkward landing, and that took Chris Duarte out for six weeks, and he was never same the rest of the season. Finished the season on the bench with an injury, with that ankle injury, and so I'm not even sure what to make out of Chris Duarte this season, whereas last season he was special, showed a lot of great signs of contributions and ways he can help this team going forward. Other teams were intrigued by him, and then everything changed this season just because of he was unable to kind of be out there. Not necessarily his fault, but that made things difficult. And then they also need clarity on the front line because you don't need to carry all those centers that they did. Isaiah, Miles, Jalen, Daniel Tice as well. He played seven games this season before the Pacers said, all right, we know what you are. You're back healthy. You're 100%. We want to devote the final several months to the young guys, which was difficult on him. I know that. I give him credit for still wanting to suit up and be in uniform every night and be there with his guys where he easily could have said, all right, if I'm not playing, I'm not going to be here. Or you know, maybe I don't want to take go on road trips or practice or stuff like that. He was a true pro, enjoyed his time with the team, but I know he didn't enjoy his time sitting the bench and really feeling like an outsider at some points, not able to contribute because they wanted to see what the other guys could do. The other overlap here is George Hill and James Johnson. I don't think you should essentially burn two roster spots for the veteran leader. I think James was fantastic. George was fantastic. Both the same age. Uh, George can contribute, I think, a little bit more on the floor. He also is the Indiana guy, Indiana hero, right? Can play more defense and is a guy that really connects with this fan base and wants to not only end his career here, but he wants to work here for the long term. And so I tend to think that's the route they should go, but that remains to be seen. And going into this offseason now, there's three free agents, guys that they absolutely have to decide on this summer, and that's O'Shea Brissett plus the veterans and George Hill and James Johnson. They've got cap space, 25. They could get a little more, too. They have right now five Draft picks, no way they're going to use those all. First of all, they don't have the roster spots without emptying or clearing out one or two. And also, they don't need or have the time or the space or the minutes, right? We talk about the minutes in the log jam for the guys on the roster right now. Imagine adding a couple more first-round picks. Three, in fact, if they used them all. Because they're going to have top probably seven pick, but we'll see. Then I believe it's pick 26 and 29, those coming from Cleveland and from Boston, respectively, for trades. Man, it's such a shame that they weren't able to get Cleveland's pick last year because they did not make the playoffs. That's a huge bummer because the Pacers would have had, what, pick, I think, 14? Much different. A lottery pick rather than having, say, 26. Pacers own both of the Cavs picks for this upcoming draft. So right now, five picks. We don't know about their first pick, And we don't know about their first pick in the second round. And it's a complicated thing, something I outlined on FieldhouseFiles.com. But in short, come the draft lottery, which is set for, I believe, Tuesday, May 16th, is you want the Spurs to draft ahead of the Rockets in the first round to for them to have a higher lottery pick. So uh, let's say Detroit wins the overall pick, then the Spurs, and then another team, wildcard, jumps in. That's good news because if the Spurs draft first, then the Rockets get the pick ahead of the Spurs in the second round, and that would be pick 32, and that would be then belong to the Pacers, part of the deal they did for uh, Victor Oladipo several years ago. If they do not, 
and the Rockets end up with the better first-round pick, then the Pacers don't get pick 32, and instead they get Miami Heat's second-round pick. I know it's complicated trying to simplify it here for you, but that means they jump from instead of pick 32 to pick 50, and that's a huge difference in the caliber of player, in the trade value. Because imagine if you could package pick 26, 29, and 32, for example, to a team that just needs players. That would be interesting. Maybe you package you know, 29 and 32 plus a player on your roster. Maybe it takes another player, and then you're really able to add that frontline four. I don't know. Those are the things. And Kevin Pritchard, as he mentioned in his exit interview, and I've known for a long time, he's big on experiments and reviewing and modeling of what has worked. So you're taking previous drafts. You're taking previous teams of the makeup of them and what works. And then he's also modeling what ingredients it takes to have future success and also the cost and the opportunity cost of what it would take to make a deal. So those are all the things that the front office will be up to here in the upcoming weeks. Uh, Pritchard said he gave his front office kind of a week off as normal to kind of get refreshed and re-energized before this push into draft season. Next few weeks are relatively quiet as all these playoff games are ongoing here in the first round. All these injuries are terrible. I hate seeing that. That makes it so tough when Giannis isn't playing, Jaws not playing. Now Kawhi's not playing. He wasn't even on the injury report in game two. But nonetheless, that's where we're at right now. And then things really intensify here, really beginning in May with draft lottery, draft combine, a couple of agent workouts out west. Um, and then they'll begin the pre-draft workout season where ordinarily they bring in about 45 to 60 different players in groups of six. You may have anywhere from you know 8 to 11 different workouts, a couple of repeat visitors. Uh, you're probably familiar with this drill at this point, all leading up to the draft in late June. But I wanted to come on here and catch you up on what's been going on. Maybe you heard me as I've been working a partnership deal with 1070 The Fan, so I'm not only hosting there occasionally, but contributing in different ways. But a couple times last week, I hosted the Midday Show, and I did that you know, a month before that as well, which is a lot of fun. That's very different than this podcast where if you don't like something you can say, you can re-record it or you can delete it or rethink about it and how you want to go about it versus radio. That is all live. There's something better about that personally. I prefer a one take, one hit, and you're live. There's something special about that that red light coming on that says, hey, you are on. But I also really enjoy the podcast form. I'm a big two-time speed guy. Hopefully you're listening to this one at two times speed. So it becomes half the length of time, and you can consume more of my podcast and others as well because there's so many good ones out there. But I appreciate you following along and listening to this podcast. If you haven't done so, subscribe to my work at fieldhousefiles.com where every story I write is delivered directly to your inbox as a paid subscriber. Free subscribers are welcome as well. Just know you don't get all the all of me. You don't get all my stories. Like my story on Wednesday, subscriber exclusive for paid. And I talked about two staffers being let go in the first week. Very disappointed to hear that, including one longtime staffer who has been instrumental in everything's behind the scenes and having one of the most difficult jobs that you never see anything go on. But he's integral to 
what all teams are doing, but specifically the Pacers. Anyways, that's my pitch to get you on board with me. Just because it's the offseason does not mean things slow down. It's just no longer the repetitive games. It's not game day or not game day. Uh, it might be an interview. Uh, there, I know I'm going to have a story coming about Miles Turner's career year, TJ McConnell, his relationship with Jenny Busick, Buddy Heald, and now where he's returning home to Dallas and in his incredible gym. A lot of good descriptions about that. Anyways, a lot more can be read about my work at fieldhousefiles.com, including two stories I do want to highlight at the end of the year. I wrote about them revving it up, the significance, the thought behind that, and every single person who revved it up before every single home game this season, and also my story on Tyrese Halliburton and going to IU. I was the only reporter there to take that in and wrote about a long-featured story about Tyrese, his love and passion for fashion, his inspiration there, how his dad actually got him into it, and then how he made one college student's dream come true, walking the tunnel, entering for a game, wearing exclusively an outfit designed for him. That's enough for this episode of the Fieldhouse Files podcast. Thanks again for following, and I'll talk to you again soon.